Welcome back to Embracing Death. I'm your host, Julia. Join me each week as I have a conversation about death with someone closest to it. I hope you are finding a little comfort in the show and a little comfort surrounding the big bad D word. So let's get into this week's guest. This week I talk with Beth and we talk about pet loss grief. As someone who lost both of my precious furry companions last year, I just knew that I needed to talk with Beth. Beth shares with me all about pet loss grief, her attempts to normalize that it hurts to lose a pet, sometimes as much as losing a person, how we can approach pet loss grief from all sides, and how we can guide ourselves through it with a little compassion and a little grace. Hi, my name is Beth Bigler and I'm a pet loss grief counselor. Hi Beth, thank you so much for coming on the show. I, When I discovered that people like you exist, I knew I had to have you on the show because death doesn't just happen to humans. It happens to every living thing and something that most humans have a really deep connection with are our pets. As someone who is currently in the depths, in the bowels of her grief with losing two of my precious pets last year that totally changed everything about my life, I just am so excited to learn about your journey and how you help people. And, you know, we've already talked about how much this is going to help me just talking about this whole process. So thank you so much for coming on the show. You're welcome. Happy to be here. Happy to spread the word about normalizing pet loss grief. Yes, and it comes for all of us. And when I adopted my dog when I was 20 years old, so 13 years ago, I didn't think about that I'll be losing him when I'm like at a point in my life where I'm still developing, I'm still growing. I'm not, you know, I'm 33 now and I'm still not like an adult, like a stable human. So for me, it's kind of like, you don't realize that when you adopt or, you know, rescue these pets that like they're going to leave you. And sometimes you don't, you can't anticipate when they're going to leave you, which for me was my issue. But it's just, it's such a deep part of life. And if we can learn how to handle the grief with, most people say that losing their pets are almost more intense than losing their loved ones, which I've never lost anyone super close to me aside from some grandparents. So for me, losing my pets was the first real loss I ever experienced. And it was, it was, I can't even explain how painful, like I've never felt pain like losing them. So I want to dive into how in the hell, like, how did you figure out that this is something you could do? This is something you wanted to do? And how did you do it? Well, it wasn't my path in life. I was a writer. I was a television producer. I was working in Hollywood, (laughs) having a great career in entertainment. And I had a soulmate named Arnie. Arnie uh, was an orange tabby cat who um, came into my life and was with me for many, many chapters, many highs, many lows, just like you were saying, a lot of the formative parts of growing up. Um, He was right there with me. And um, I did have an awareness that someday Arnie would die. And I always thought when he dies at like age 45, uh, we'll probably have to commit me somewhere where I can't hurt myself because I couldn't imagine a world without him in it. But we were cruising along. Everything was great. Life is good. He's 11 years old and suddenly he gets a diagnosis. Yeah, right before Christmas, he uh, got a 30 day prognosis on a difficult type of cancer. And I was blindsided. I was shocked and I didn't know how I would live through it. So immediately I was like, I need help. I need professional help. This is LA. There must be people who know how to do this. So I Googled, you know, pet loss, grief therapist. I I started looking for someone. I also uh, uh, got myself a regular therapist because 
you, you need all the help you can get. <clears throat> so I talked to who would become my pet loss grief counselor. And immediately I was like, wow, she gets it. She understands. She's not making me feel weird that I don't want to live in a world without my cat. And so I started working with her. And when I started working with her, I began uncovering so many things about myself, about my relationship with Arnie, about his place in my life, and about why this loss was so daunting for me. And um, I really appreciated the work we were doing. And I started to feel like, you know what, I might be able to get through this. I might be able to make it. Well, simultaneously, we, we mounted a pretty big fight for Arnie's life. Uh, we tried a bit of an experimental chemo, and it worked. And he actually went into remission. So um, miracle time. That was really exciting. Uh, but you know what? I kept going to see my pet loss grief counselor, even when he was in remission, because I was like, I'm still learning more. I'm still understanding more. And someday, hopefully when he's 45, he will die. And I want to, um, I want to be ready. And so I, I continued seeing her kind of off and on for about a year. And that was very fortunate because um, almost exactly a year later, uh, Arnie died completely unexpectedly of a different cancer that we know materialized in about three to four days and it killed him in three days. And then he was gone and there was nothing I could do. I could not save him. And uh, boy, was I glad for all that anticipatory work I had done. And uh, I continued to do some more work after that. And I um, always thought about, wow, what an impact this work has made on my life. But of course, I was a Hollywood entertainment executive. So, you know, what was I going to do about that? But the more I thought about it and the more I reflected on it, I thought this is um, something I'm really interested in. And I had had an experience when Arnie was going for a regular checkup about halfway through that year that I just mentioned where I helped a woman whose cat had come into the ER um, and her cat had had some lily water. Lilies are super toxic for cats. And um, she was going to have to put her cat down. And I actually stayed with her. I talked with her. I helped her through that day. And I remember when I walked out into the parking lot that night because I stayed with her all day um, until the cat was euthanized. I remember walking out in the parking lot that night. I thought, you know what? something's going to have to change here. I'm going to have to do this. But I didn't know how I would get there. So it took me a couple of years after Arnie died to um, make enough changes in my life that I could start doing the work and get my training. I have a lot of different trainings and certifications so that I'm qualified to do it. And, um, and then I started uh, working with people and it has been the absolute best decision of my life to do this work. I love it. It's fulfilling. It's meaningful. And every day I get to show up with Arnie's gifts, guidance, and teachings by my side to help people through the worst moments of their life, much like Arnie helped me through the worst moments of mine. Well, I just want to say I'm so sorry about learning about Arnie. Um, the same thing happened with my cat, Mufi. After having him for four years, he will get into his story later, but it is the heart. I think having lost a pet suddenly and then not suddenly like knowing about it and not knowing about it are two completely different journeys they can't even i can't even relate either of them because the grief i feel for both of them is is completely different and just like i love that your story everyone who has ever loved an animal like can needs a resource 
you know, unless you get the animal 10 days before you die and you don't develop any type of emotional connection, there's absolutely no way that you cannot lose an animal and not give a crap. I mean, even if it is a cow that you rescued, a bird, a snake, a lizard, I've seen people more in love with their pet lizards who the jury's out of whether or not they're sentient and can experience love. I think all animals can experience love to an extent. All living things with a consciousness can experience love to an extent. And that this journey, you know, you, you anticipated what was going to happen with him. You found resources. And then after he was miraculously, you know, in remission, you still anticipated that eventually he's going to go and I'm learning important things and I need to keep doing this process. And then translating that into, you know, getting out of Hollywood and all of these really kind of face value jobs and careers. And you decided to just kind of go into something so much deeper. Look, so I know you said there was a lot of different trainings. Can you give me just like a snapshot of like, cause I mean, it's a very specialized thing that you do. Is there a school? Is it, you know, a background in therapy with a specialty in animal studies? Like how do you kind of give me the more specifics on that? Sure, sure. Well, there's a lot of different types of training programs for this. It kind of just depends what route you want to go. Um, for me, I really did. It was important to me to be a certified grief counselor. And I wanted to be a certified grief counselor, not only as a pet loss support specialist, but also for humans. Now, I don't work primarily about people and people loss. I work with animal loss, but I really wanted a foundation in um, human loss as well. Because of course, other losses come up when you are grieving an animal. And so I have a double certification as a grief counselor in um, both human uh, in human loss as well as animal loss. I also um, did a certification as a pet chaplain. So we've all heard of chaplains in hospitals, you know, who come and help um, people spiritually. And it, it was really important to me to get more foundation and experience in the spiritual life of grievers and the spiritual life of people and their animals. And so that was excellent training for me as well because many questions come up for people about faith about the afterlife um, depending on where you are in your faith experience if you're having one um, it can be shaking for that so I did training in that and I also completed training as an end-of-life doula for animals um, because uh, a, a lot a big part of my work is anticipatory I work with people before their animals die just like I, I worked um, uh, on that and so I, I wanted to do some specialized training on that and some of the best training I did was um, I actually studied under my pet loss grief uh, she, she's a therapist in real life she she was a therapist she's retired now um, and uh, she mentored me intensively <laughs> when I told her I wanted to do this and she really has taught me a lot too about um, how to approach this and I've been in therapy basically since I was um, you know 13 on and off doing different types of therapy I've done hypnosis I've done EMDR I've done all kinds of different I've done couples therapy I've done a lot of different modalities um, I'm a big believer in you know healing and growth and learning about yourself and so I also just have kind of an interest and passion in um, this field so in addition to all of my trainings and professional certifications I have a lot of real-world experience as well that that helps me I am a huge supporter of therapy as well as someone who has been in therapy for I waited until I was in my mid-20s because of I have a very intense eating disorder among other obsessive, compulsive, and anxiety-driven disorders. So for me, it was really taking a lot of time to accept that, like, I'm not going to get better by powering through it because I hadn't for, you know, 15 years. 
And so going to therapy changed my life. And I, my first therapist was a survivor's guilt and like cancer survivors therapist who specialized in eating disorders, which was kind of two broad spectrums, but a lot of the same techniques could have been used. And so I went to that kind of therapist. I've been to eating disorder specialists. I've been to relationship therapists. Even in a healthy relationship that I'm in now, my boyfriend and I are in couples therapy because it's like, what's what's what are what could we lose by going to therapy and we've actually every time we have a session we're like we turn to each other and we hug and we like remind each other how much we love each other and so therapy is I every episode I talk with anyone who brings up therapy it's like go to therapy go to therapy go to therapy like just try it try it for a, a few months and if you hate it then you won't hate it but if you do then you know you can come here and tell me that I'm crazy but so your journey was really personal and you have a lot of training. I didn't even realize there was so much, like I didn't even know there were so many pet grief resources and, and trainings, but I, I think it's amazing. And you seem to have a very well-rounded, very broad and just in-depth education and background. So I definitely think there's no one better to talk about this with me than you. So I'm so, again, thankful for you being here. So you went to school, you developed all of these resources, you decided you're now a pet loss grief counselor. What does that, what do you do? What does that look like when I call you and say, hey Beth, you know, my dog is dying. What does that look like? What what kind of things can, can people who work with you expect? Well, you know, um, the first thing they can expect is a super safe and validating space where they can come and talk about all their feelings. Um, it's not just sadness we feel when we go through this, either anticipatory or post-loss. Um, we might be really angry. We might be really guilty. We might be shocked. We might be disoriented. We might be having physical symptoms. I mean, there's all kinds of things that come up. And it's hard. You know, how many of your friends want to sit around and talk to you about your dead dog? People get sick of it after a while, right? Like, we are such a grief illiterate, animal grief illiterate culture. We don't know what to do to support. We don't know how to show up. And so many people are experiencing this in a very isolated way. So one thing you get by coming to me is uh, you get somebody who totally gets it, who doesn't think you're weird or, quote, crazy or abnormal. Um, and somebody who is right there with you to walk the road. You know, I can't fix it. I can't take away your grief. I wish I could. I can't do that. But I will walk right here with you and get you some support and some tools. The thing is, most of us have no idea what to do because we've never been here before. And by the way, even if you have grieved other losses, I have a lot of people that come to me and say, oh, I went to grief counseling when my mom died, but um, none of that stuff that I learned there feels right here. And I'm like, you're right, because it's a totally different loss. And in some ways, like you said earlier, it can be a more difficult loss. So when people come to me, they get a lot of practical hands-on tools that they can use. I give people a lot of different types of things to try. We need to help your brain adjust to this massive loss. It is a huge adjustment for your brain, your body, and your heart. Also, uh, when you work with me, you're going to be learning a lot about grief. You're going to be learning a lot about pet loss grief. I really want to educate people. Hey, this is what you're going through. Here's some of the frameworks of grief. Here's some of the things we've discovered about grief. Because again, we don't know. And when you don't have ways to name things, and when you don't understand that this is a universal experience, um, it can be even more daunting. So a lot of what I do is also teach people about grief and how it might be impacting them. And of course, we work on guilt. Guilt's a big one. Um, 
pretty much everyone who comes to me has some form of guilt. So a lot of the work is, is helping you move through that guilt and also celebrating, celebrating the life uh, that you had with your animal and helping figure out what this next part of your life is going to be like. So many people don't know what's next. Who am I without my dog? What is my world if I don't have my cat? So I work with a lot of people about kind of finding the next steps. What's life going to be like next? Because that's very scary. And um, that's a big piece of comfort. You know, my goal is that each time people come in each week, I want them to feel a little lighter, a little lighter and a little lighter until eventually they're like, you know what? I'm feeling pretty good. I, I feel like I can go. You know, I'm trying to get rid of you. It's not like therapy where I'm going to keep you for five years. <laughs> I'm trying to get rid of you. Uh, I want you to get back integrated into your life and be able to take the loss with you and memorialize and honor your animal and think of your animal with smiles instead of devastation. And, um, and I fortunately am real good at helping people get to that place. Everything that you said has kind of like just been tugging at my heart because everything you've said is something that I've experienced that I'm currently going through. And just the things that you're saying just kind of are pulling up other things in me that you know, when we initially spoke before this interview, I was like in a kind of place where I was just kind of get a re getting reacquainted with my life. But now that I'm kind of settling back in, like I've, you know, just recently I was having those thoughts of that intense guilt about, you know, not being there when my dog died and not. And now it's just this great, this guilt of like, I didn't give him the life I felt he deserved. And so with my new, I have two new rescue kittens that I have that are both about six months old. So I'm sure you and I will be working again in the future. <laughs> but um, it's now th that guilt of everything that I did wrong, I'm trying to do it better this time. And then it makes me feel even more guilty about that I didn't do it right the first time. So like I said, we'll get into all of my baggage. Um, but I love that it's not just people coming and talking and you listening, but you're giving them hands-on real tangible things they can do because yes talk therapy is amazing that is the basis of, of healing is getting the things out inside of you like let the demons out so to speak and is really helpful but sometimes it's, it's more than that it's there's so much that we need to do other than just talk it out because sometimes things manifest that we can't verbalize and we need to be able to understand what that might look like and how we can process that so how, what kind of tangible hands-on tips, tricks, what kind of things can you, you know, in a, in a broader sense, because I know every person is different, but can you give me a few things that maybe someone like me who is just kind of getting into this whole aspect of processing their grief, what kind of like, if you could give like a top three things that anyone can do right now? Well, like you said, everybody's situation is super different. And even I have been surprised in this work at the variety of situations that I have encountered, you know, working with people, there are so many, um, so many different ways that animals leave our lives. And uh, so many different ways our animals have impacted our lives. So it is a very customized experience when you're working with someone. But in general, the number one thing that I wish every pet griever had was more self compassion. We are so hard on ourselves about our animals. We are so mean to ourselves about what we didn't do or did do. And of course, this speaks to guilt, but not even just guilt. We're tough on ourselves. Why am I not doing this better? Why am I not grieving it better? Why didn't I do that? You know, so many things. And many of us who are super conscientious um, parents or guardians of animals 
um, we did everything we, we thought we were doing everything we could. And you know what? Sometimes you can do everything you can and it just doesn't work out. But instead of accepting that and being kind to ourselves, we tend to acknowledge that and then be mean to ourselves. So whatever any griever can do to be kinder to themselves is my number one wish. And a very simple way to test yourself on that is to start listening to the way you're talking to yourself and asking yourself, would I say that if it was to a friend of mine? <laughs> would I give my friend a hard time about, you know, you just mentioned like, oh, maybe I didn't give him a good life. Like, would you ever in a million years say to me, do you think maybe it didn't give Arnie a good life? <laughs> no, you know, you wouldn't talk like that to me. So um, just really checking in with yourself about self-compassion and having compassion for what you're going through. Grief is really, really, really hard. So that's one thing. Another thing is, um, to share your grief when it's safe. Uh, don't share your grief with people who aren't going to make you feel safe, but talk about your animal. Let people know it's okay to talk about your animal. Memorialize your animal. Celebrate their birthdays. Celebrate their gotcha days. Um, do something meaningful on the anniversary of their death. You know, many of us grew up when people died in our lives and it was like, okay, we don't ever talk about them again. We just move on. And that is um, a, a cultural thing, especially in our country. And it, there's a lot of reasons for that. But um, that is the opposite of what I would like you to do with your animal. I would love for you to talk about your animal. I would love for you to engage with your animal every day. Your relationship is not over just because your animal is not in their earthly body. And everyone walks around feeling like, well, it's over. I'm never going to have this again. I'm never going to, you know, feel this kind of love again. And I get it. I get what you mean. But guess what? It's not over. And so making intentional connection time each day. And I'm not talking my animal psychic way, although if that's your jam, do your thing. I'm just talking about you tuning in. Tune in with your animal. Talk to them. Talk to them out loud. Share things with them. Think about how they might handle a situation. You know, all of our animals have taught us lessons. Write down the list of all the lessons you learned from your animal and then remind yourself that because you were taught by an amazing teacher those lessons, they're all in you now. So now you get to go and live these lessons. And that is a huge honoring of your animal and it is a huge way to stay connected with your animal. Your connection is not over. So whatever that looks like for you, whatever that means to you, keep the connection going. I want you saying hi to your animal when you come in the house, if that feels right. I want you to have pictures in the house and, and I want you to engage with those pictures. I want you to keep the relationship going. It's not over. And that is a huge piece that brings people a lot of comfort when they're grieving. It's really important to recognize that because for me, a lot of the pain that I feel is he's gone and I didn't get to say goodbye. And although his life is not here, he is not here in the living realm or whatever your belief system is, but I've, I've maintained this connection with him where I talk to him sometimes when I'm, you know, somewhere alone and I'm feeling lonely and I'll just talk to him and say like, you know, we're here now, we're doing this, because he went everywhere with me. He moved a dozen times with me. And one of the really special things, which in his life, he would probably have barked at me if I said this, but when he was alive, anytime you hiccuped, he was like out the door, like, what's that sound? And so my mom always hiccups a lot. She has like a weird esophagus, so she always hiccups. So every time we were at her house, 
and she would hiccup, he would like take for the hills and run and go hide somewhere. And so whenever my mom and I are together and either of us hiccup, we both go, oh, sorry, Jack. And so it's like something that we all do because she was actually caring for him when he passed away. So she has a lot of, we'll get into her story too, but she has a lot of emotions and guilt and just pain around losing pets, including Jack, because there were times, you know, within my lifestyle that she was caring for him for long periods of times. Like when I deployed in the military, she had him for months on end and so she developed this really deep connection with him as well and so every time we we hiccup we're like oh sorry jack and so it's like we both look at each other like "Mm," you know or you know we say like there's a bunny in the yard like oh jack would have been out there oh he thinks he could catch it so i think it's important because a lot of times it's that they're gone they're forever never to be seen again and we have to remember that like we're the ones responsible for that connection now so if you want to give it up and feel that intense loss and never to be found again then go ahead but you if you maintain that connection it keeps you connected it's like you have to choose that that route and i think that's really important because there are times where i'm like i'm never gonna touch him again like yeah but i can still communicate my love for him because that's really an important part of of love is giving love arnie died on the last day of the first trimester of my pregnancy which was a difficult day to lose him and I was so terrified. Well, my child isn't going to know who Arnie is. My child's never going to meet Arnie. And, you know, Arnie had been very, like, glued to my belly in the pregnancy situation. And um, I I feared, well, you know, my son's never going to know him. And I want him to know him because he's so great. And, you know, my son's three years old now. And he can tell you exactly who Arnie is because we, we made books about Arnie and we've got photos of Arnie and we talk about Arnie and, you know, it's kind of like Uncle Arnie. <laughs> you know, he's like an ancestor to our family. He's like, you know, his things are like family heirlooms, right? And so um, this, you know, your animal's legacy, their guidance, their their relationship to you can continue. I tell people I feel like my relationship today with Arnie is even more evolved and more deep and more connected than it was the day he died. And I was not expecting that, by the way, but that is what has happened to me. And that's what happens for my clients. And it is so fulfilling to see somebody go from, he's gone, he's gone, he's gone, it's all over, to he's with me forever. I feel there's it's weird because there are times where I feel Jack's gone, Muthi's gone. And then there are times where I'm like, he's right here. And I don't even want to, I don't even know why I'm already getting emotional, but like just, you know, I met um, my partner, my boyfriend, Corey, um, like um, six weeks after both of my pets died. And I remember thinking, I can't love somebody else because these two things that I loved are gone and not now it's like Corey you'll never know Jack which do I think they would get along they were Jack had a very strong personality and Corey doesn't have the patience for he I don't know if Jack would have liked Corey I know Corey probably would have liked Jack because in order to get me you have to get Jack I don't know how Jack Jack was very territorial over mom right he and he also I should have used him as like a dating gauge because every time I ever introduced him to someone and he did not like them, it was not long after that that relationship dissolved. So he he knew me better than anyone else. He knew how to read people. He was a no BS kind of boy. He did what he wanted. He did how he wanted. He listened when he had to, but he was a very independent, like, you know, he did his own thing. And it's hard because I kept thinking like, Corey will never know Jack. But then I think like, that that's also okay. Like as much as I want him to know and love Jack, like he, he'll never have that same 
emotional connection that I have to Jack, just like I don't have to his dog who passed away a few years named Phantom. And so, but we both still carry them with us. There's still photos everywhere of them. We still have their little paw prints everywhere. We have Jack's little urn. So we have things that still incorporate them into our lives. And then with our new two kittens that we've adopted, they're kind of like the the new braid that kind of ties all of them together. And I think as much as I want him to know Jack the way I knew Jack, I'm okay also. Like, that's that's my boy. And that's okay. But Corey still, he's always very understanding and always like accepting like when I'm feeling really down or I'm, I break down and I start crying about it as someone who's been you know he's a few years ahead in that grief period where I am he like knows exactly where I'm at and he's like that's okay you're allowed to cry over him you're allowed to be guilty you're allowed to feel horrible you're allowed to hate that he's gone like I, I know where you've been like in my own experience so it's really helpful um in grief and I want to talk a lot about grief because that's that's the emotion that's the feeling that's the thing that that happens right what what is grief <laughs> you mean like dictionary or what does it look like I mean you know grief is the internal process the um the emotions that come up for us um after any type of loss, right? It's not just death. Of course, there's many other types of losses that we experience, moving, divorce, natural disaster, all kinds of things. So grief is the <clears throat> mysterious, funky, and unique constellation of emotions and responses and reactions, and I say symptoms, that occur after a loss, which is a little different than mourning, which is an outward display. We think of uh, mourning more along things like memorializing, you know, whereas grief is more internal, mourning is more external. And then we have the word bereavement, which you didn't ask about, but bereavement is the sort of publicly, um, you know, accepted <laughs> form of uh, when somebody dies, uh, what we culturally recognize that that's things like paid time off and, you know, airfares for bereaved people. But of course, you've never heard anybody get a discounted airfare because their dog died. So bereavement is something that happens in circumstances where there is a public publicly acknowledged grief and pet loss grief is not in that category. Pet loss grief is a type of disenfranchised grief, which means grief that is not sort of culturally publicly recognized um, or supported. And not, not unlike, um, you know, miscarriage is another type of dis disenfranchised grief that many people don't receive support about. Um, and there's a lot of other types of disenfranchised grief. And yeah, you know, it's horrible, but I think it's an opportunity. You know, one of the big focuses of my life now is to normalize and validate pet loss grief and to be an advocate for talking about pet loss grief and to spread the word every day, which I do a lot of that through my Instagram. <laughs> I have a very active Instagram life where I am on a mission to um, help people feel validated in their own pain and also help other people support their friends and family when they're going through this grief because it is a type of grief where a lot of people are like i don't know what to do <laughs> so so it is horrible that it's not um more publicly sort of validated and recognized but it's also an opportunity for you and for me and for everybody listening to step up and start really um supporting each other i do want to talk about how we show up for people that have lost pets because 
Um, and then we'll get into kind of what what grief is in a in a timeline sense, in a like uh, out I mean, how what kind of things we can expect to happen when we have grief or when we are around someone who's experiencing this grief. But I want to talk about how we show up for other people because <clears throat> my mom lost. So right before both of my animals died, my mom lost her beloved child, baby girl Bella, Bella Boo. She was like 13 years old. She was the queen of the family. She dictated everything when bedtime was, when we go out. When we go to the beach, she dictated everything and we all bowed to her. She was my mother's right hand gal. And she was very sick for about a year before she died. And so when she passed away, or when she died, I don't like, I, I still am trying to learn the terms between passed away and die, but I think die is the word that, you know, we should, I, we should use in like a sense because it doesn't pass away kind of mystifies the word death. But anyway, that's a whole other topic. But when she died, my mom's friends kind of were, and they knew how important Bella Boo was to my mom. And they just kind of said like, oh, like we're, we're, we're so sorry that she died. Like, we're so sorry. But you know, she was sick for a while. My mom's like, no longer friends with most of her friends because they didn't show up for her. They weren't there for her. They didn't like show up physically, emotionally, spiritually in any way. And when she, my mom kind of clipped these people out of her lives, cause she's like, if you can't be there for probably the hardest day of my life, I can't be there for you at all. And so she has lost a lot of these friends and a lot of them were like, well, you know, when my dog died, you know, I was fine two days later. And so my mom is still struggling, obviously as I am, like what, what kind of things can people learn? Because I don't ever want to be that person that, that doesn't show up for my friends because a lot, I think a, the issue is when we love our pets, we love them wholly, but like other people don't know them like our kids. So they don't have that same connection. They don't, it, you know, our pets are very in home. They're very our thing. And so I get why other people don't connect when our pets die, right? They don't know our pets like we do. So what kind of things can, can I do or other people do to be better friends? Great question. And I do have some very practical hands-on things that everybody listening, you can go try this next time you hear about a pet loss in your circle. I will just say one thing, and I don't want to defend anybody's bad behavior when someone's animal dies, but I do like to always remind us that grief is a tremendous revealer of limitations. Grief is intimidating for people for a whole host of reasons, and they are afraid of it. They are afraid of your grief. They're afraid of your sadness. They're afraid of your crying. They, some people just want to fix it. And that has a whole lot to do with a lot of things that have nothing to do with you or your animal. So I try to encourage people to have as much grace as possible when people might say the wrong thing or not do enough or not show up enough because people really don't know what to do. And sometimes that scares them and makes them run and hide. So, you know, if you have people in your life who are generally on your team and on your side and they make some sort of foible um, in your grieving process, I, I do encourage you when you're ready to, to sort of clear that with them and to be able to say, it really hurt me that you didn't or that you did, you know, this thing or, or this other thing and, and to try to clear it because um, grief is really tough for a lot of people and it's not personal um, sometimes. So I do just like to say that as a disclaimer, but my advice, um, how to show up for people, a of all, treat the death as if it's a human family member. What would you do if it were a human family member? Would you send a sympathy card? Would you send flowers? Would you bring a casserole? Whatever you would do if it's a human, do that for the animal. That's thing one. That's good advice. Also remember that, that um, if someone wants to talk about their animal, just listen. 
You don't have to give advice. You don't have to give judgment. You don't have to fix anything. You can just hold the space and let them talk. A big thing I'm a big fan of, and we can all do this because we have great phones now that help us, put the date of the death in your phone, in the calendar. Then put in a follow-up for two weeks later or four weeks later or six weeks later. You can put things on repeat and do a check-in. Check in every couple weeks. Hey, how are you thinking about Jack today? How's it going about Jack today? Always use the word today. If you say, how, how are you feeling about Jack? That might be too intimidating, but a griever can answer about today. So how's today going? I'm thinking of Jack. Or if you don't want to ask, ask how today's going, send a picture of Jack. Pull a picture from someone's social media if they don't have one. Pull, pull a picture down and just say, I was looking at this picture and I thought of you. So do these check-ins. Do it consistently. You know, everyone shows up that first week. No one's asking six weeks later. No one's asking, you know, two months later. So, so do, do that. And then, of course, we have all kinds of nice things you can do if you want to, um, you know, do something. You can write a sympathy card, a heartfelt note, and you can send another one in six months because it's still hurting six months later. You can go onto Etsy and find a pet portrait artist and send a picture in and have someone make a portrait um, of their animal or get a beautiful photograph printed on canvas, right? Um, and, and also, you know, other self-care type things. If you know that your friend loves a bubble bath like I do, send a basket of bubble bath, you know, something that they might enjoy that might feel comforting for themselves. Um, any way you would show up for your friend normally when something happens, do, do, do the same thing. And the number one thing is just talk about the animal. Use the animal's name. Don't be afraid to bring it up. Don't be afraid. If you bring it up and they don't want to talk about it, you'll get that memo. But my heart leaps out of my chest when someone says Arnie's name. In fact, I named my son. His middle name is Arnold <laughs> because I wanted to always be hearing Arnie's name. So, you know, use the animal's name, talk about the animal, text about the animal, and do everything like you would do if it was their mom or their dad or their sibling or their child. That's really helpful because most people, they just think like, well, you know, I don't really want to hear about it. Well, this isn't about you, right? We have to learn to take five minutes to not, and it's not going to, if it turns into an hour, what, it's an hour to be there for your friend. So regardless of whether or not it's something that's important to you, you know, there's so many things in my life that aren't important to me that are important to other people that I embrace that because it's important to them and I want to see the people I care about doing things and talking about things and processing things that matter to them and so even I think it's a great idea to take the time to just text too because you know when my mom's dog passed away my cat passed away I euthanized him three days later so we were both like she was like in the in the throes of her grief I was in the throes of my grief and then we both kind of were like okay we're processing and then jack died and it's like what in the fuck <laughs> like holy shit so then a year later so then my mom's other dog who was her little sweet pea princess peepers sophia she died this last summer so we've lost too many animals as well as my mom's other rescue cat like we literally lost like five animals between the two of us in a year and it's been really really crappy and it, it's like we got we got it all at once and so my poor mother has just been constantly battered with like her own grief and then my grief because there were when both of my pets passed away I was staying with her because I was like in the transition of I'm kind of like a a nomadic woman so I they were both with her so my cat is buried on their property next to two of their horses that have passed away over the last 
half decade, which her horse, her horses were her babies. Like my, my mom loves her animals so deeply that like, if I ever came back, like if I reincarnate, I want to be one of her animals, like they're her babies. So I think it's just important that like we were both going through it, but we were both able to just like sit on the phone and cry and be like, no one gets it. Yeah, I know. No one gets it. No, I know. Like, it, yeah. And it's just, we were both just crying and just checking in and there, you know, luckily for both of us, we were both going through it simultaneously. So we were able to check in on each other based on how we were feeling. So it's like, I'm feeling really crappy today. Me too. But you know, and that's a, that's a real gift because very often a thing that comes up a lot is that even within one family, there are very different grief styles and grieving styles. And um, I work a lot with couples and, um, you know, a, a couple may of course, be feeling equally sad and equally devastated, but the way they express their grief or the way they feel most seen in their grief or the way they feel supported might be polar opposites. You know, um, <clears throat> one person might want to really be home a lot near the animal's things. The other person might want to be completely out of the house. One person may want to cry a lot. One person may not want to cry a lot. And so it's so great that you and your mom were able to sort of connect and support each other um, because very often um, parents and children or partners or whoever, you know, it is really um, complicated with the different grief styles. So I'm glad you have that with your mom. That's one hurdle you don't have to overcome. Yeah, I feel like also where we were separate was my mom wanted that support from her friends. She wanted that love. She wanted that like connection. And I like to, I don't like to grieve around other people because it's kind of ugly. So I like to just like, not all, not forever, but I like to just go in, lay in bed, cry, ugly cry, scream, shout, curse out the world, curse out the universe. And like a lot of times, like we'll get into like my personalized story. Um, but the way I grieved my, my pets were completely different. And it was based on my relationships with both of them, as well as how they died and knowing that one of them and not the other, we'll get into all of that. But, you know, but we were able to connect on like, I'm feeling like absolute shit today. And she would say, oh, girl, you don't even know. Like, I cried in the car. I cried in the car. I cried at work. I cried in the bathroom. And I'm like, I'm crying right now. And then it's like, okay, I got to go. I'm crying. I'm hanging up, you know. But, like, we were able to at least be there for each other. And, like, I would hate to say, like, if I have to be in the crap, I want someone there with me. But it did give us, like, a con like we both have connected that we were both in that together separately. And I think that was really important for us. And so, like, now we kind of look at each other and we just have this knowing of, like, yeah, we, we did that at the same time. Um so now I want to get into, we know kind of what grief is. We know kind of what it looks like, but what, what is the timeline? What can we expect to happen? I know for everyone it's different. And for me, like I said, it was different as well, but can you give me like a, is there a, any, any textbook like process of like, you know, there's like the five stages or however many stages of it, denial, anger, acceptance, is that grief or loss? Okay. That's grief, right? Okay. First of all, <laughs> help first me all, out. <laughs> can I, can I just tell you that like, no, this is a dumb Aww. question. <laughs> no, there are no dumb questions. I'm giving you a hard time. Um, but, you know, is there a time? You mean like a timeline? Like when are you going to feel better? Well, yeah, that would like, be great to like know because I can like mark it on my calendar. <laughs> but like what is it? What you is mean like what are we going like? to go through? Like, yeah, yeah. What's the okay. stages? I'm not saying like okay. day three I'm going to cry. Day six I'm going to accept it. And day seven I'm going to be back to normal. But like what kind of stages of grief. Yeah, I, I hear harder? you. I hear you. I just get so nervous about timeline because, you know, I do have people call sometimes um, and in our initial conversation, they're like, well, can you guarantee that like in three months, because like, I, you know, I have a really important thing I need to do in three months and I have to be better. And I'm like, no. no. <laughs> when so, will I be better, Beth? Yeah. <laughs> yeah no, I, I get this question all the time. So that's why timeline makes me itchy. But I, I, I think I know what you're asking. So Process. I'll, um, what I'll, is uh, the process? 
The pro- okay. Well, so first of all, five stages of grief. A lot of you listening may have heard of that. That was Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, amazing pioneer in all kinds of death and dying research. Um, and that particular model was actually based for people who are dying, terminally ill people. Those are the five stages of grief that they are experiencing. Those stages have nothing to do with grievers. Oh, yeah, right. Well, everyone's been doing it wrong then. What the hell? I wouldn't say they're doing it wrong. And I think there are some nice things about that framework, but it's antiquated (laughs) and it's a bit outdated. and And it really, it literally does not apply to people who are currently researching grief and it doesn't apply to people who are grieving. So let's okay. throw that out. Um, I Bye. don't work with those <laughs> at all. Um, but I'll, I'll, I mean, to answer your question, look, grief impacts us in a lot of different ways. And sometimes when certain things impact us um, are different depending on when things are happening. Obviously in the very beginning, um, and by that I'm gonna, oh God, I'll put a timeline on I mean, I'd say like the first month or two, many grievers are impacted in a very physical way. Um, your body is is going through shock often. It is going through distressing exhaustion. Um, you're, you have a lot of physical symptoms that come up and this has been researched you know, heavily. So you may be having heart palpitations, you may be having stomach pain and it doesn't mean there's um, anything wrong with you except that you're grieving. Now, obviously you wanna consult the doctor if you're having you know, persistent physical symptoms, but we often see um, physical symptoms in earlier phases of of grief. Um, But there are other areas of our life where we're impacted. We are impacted emotionally, of course. We're impacted cognitively. Our brain has a tough time with grief for a whole bunch of different reasons. With our animals, our brain is firing neurons like, let's look for Jack. Um, It's time to, to, to take Jack for the walk. You know, all these routines. You know, for your daily routine has been, your brain's used to it. And even if you haven't even physically been around him, you're still thinking about him, what's he doing? So cognitively, there's a huge adjustment. And often in the early first couple of months, the cognitive adjustment is one of the most difficult things to do. And that's a lot of the work I do with people is really supporting the brain, <laughs> supporting the brain's adjustment. And then of course we have the, the um, spiritual side of this that many people whether that's um, what is the meaning of life now or where is my animal, um, you know, what do I believe? Because that comes up a lot. And socially, there's a lot of things that come up with grief as well. Um, it just is a disconnecting thing. And for many people with animals that have been in an anticipatory phase, if they have been caregiving for their animal, um, if your animals had a serious medical condition that you have had to be home every couple hours to give a medication or you've been up all night or you don't go out on weekends anymore, there can be a huge distance that happens before the death and also after. And so socially, um, these are areas that we want to tend to. So um, <clears throat> I, I really am looking at a whole holistic picture, but I would say, you know, for most people in the immediate aftermath, physically and cognitively are the areas where we want to um, really come in with some heavy support. And then obviously the emotional and the spiritual and the social are also um, things that we're going to, that we're going to experience and, and support, you know, those are the areas that I want to offer the most support for people. And then in terms of like, you know, what do you do to kind of go through it? I mean, um, you know, a lot of people need to spend some time really accepting 
that it's happened. Um, and acceptance, of course, is one of the five stages of grief, although they list it last. <laughs> but we want to make sure that we're in reality that this has happened. And you have to feel that. You have to feel that your animal's gone. You have to really um, sit with that and understand that because it can be very easy um, to think, oh, maybe they're just at the vets for a teeth cleaning and they'll be home, you know? So kind of really, really sitting with the reality of things and also um, sitting in the pain. You got to feel the pain. You got to feel the loss. You got to feel your feelings. Um, that's an important step on your timeline and the hardest <laughs> it can't for some people it really is the hardest and um, yeah is that that's hard for you yeah for me it's yeah I, I'm really good at if I can I can shut them out which we'll get into all, I can't like there's so much that can apply to my story it's literally I can I can block it out oh yeah I can I can be a void for a while and then it's like, bleh, it just comes out. You know, if you want to stuff it down, it will just be down there. I don't even right. know where it goes. I like send it through a black hole to another universe. And then it's just like, huh, I was just gone for a vacay. And then it comes back and I'm like, damn it, why didn't I just process it? It was doing push-ups while you stuff it down. It's getting stronger and bigger to come back with a bigger bite. I mean, that, that's why we don't want to stuff it down. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I know that now. But another thing you said, so when Jack died, I wasn't there. I know that he's dead and I, I know that he was which we'll talk about how he died and how that really fucks with me still and really just jacks me up. But I wasn't there to touch him or see him. So the, the last time I had seen him was eight days before or nine days before because I was out on a hiking trip. And I didn't like when I said goodbye to him, I I mean, in my mind that day. So like I just thought like he's going to live like another he's a little Shih Tzu dog. He was 11 years old. That was not old by Shih Tzu standards. He was completely healthy. I'm like, I still got like five or six years left with this bad boy. Like he's going to live to be like 18 because like Shih Tzus do. And I remember thinking like, this isn't like goodbye. Like I'll see you in a few months. Like love you. Like, you know, you get to spend time on the farm with grandma. And then when he died, it was like I and then I came home and I got his urn with his ashes. It's like this is this isn't him. He's still just I just haven't seen him yet. And like, I knowing that he was dead, it was like my brain was still like, no, no, like connection not made. And I'm like, but I know he's dead, but, and I know he's in there, but it's like, but maybe he's not. It's like, bitch, he's dead. Like you have to accept it. And so a lot of that has just been like reminding your brain, like, okay, it's just trying to process. It's just still trying to process. Give it time. It will get there. It will make that connection. Yeah. Su supporting the brain. That's why I say like the physical and the cognitive are the two areas where um, I like to jump in <laughs> the most because there are a lot of things we can do to support that adjustment for your brain. But it is really feels just like a, I mean, like a, you know, it's a wilderness. I mean, you just don't even know where you are and your brain doesn't know where you are. And then once, once those, you know, once you've kind of, you know, sat in your feelings and, and worked in your feelings, then, then and your guilt you know the guilt once you can lift some of the guilt hopefully that makes a lot more space and that's when we think about things like continuing the relationship continuing the bonds how are we memorializing how are we celebrating are we doing a service you know some people like to do a celebration of life and then and then we get to those other questions about who am i and what is my life going to be and um and um reaching out to our social supports to help us through and so I, there is no time what now I do tell people this when they come to work with me, it's very short term work compared to like therapy where you're in it. You know, I work with people for three, four, five, six months and they're feeling great and they go. And so I, I don't know exactly how long people are going through their process when they're not working with me. But when, when my clients show up and they're doing their homework and they're doing the work in between sessions that I'm telling them to do and we're processing, you know, I, I, I see a huge, huge difference after 
you know, three, three, four months, most people feel pretty great. So um, there, there is a bit of a timeline in terms of how long I, I work with people. Now that changes depending on the circumstances and I mean, there's all kinds of things where it might take longer. But um, it is something that I think if you really want to step up and participate that you can move through and it's not going to be haunting you for years and years. And that's the thing is that it can be very hard to step up and be like, all right, I want to jump in and you know really kind of work with my grief that's a really hard and brave thing to do but the people who do kind of want to do that and really kind of work it um they they it's it's not they don't feel that bad in you know two years three years four years i mean look arnie died three and a half years ago i miss him every day i was making a reel on instagram the other day and started crying just thinking about it you know it's i will never stop missing him i will never stop grieving him i will always wish he were here i will always think why did he die before my other cat because he was the favorite you know i mean those feelings are always going to come up but the, that acute pain that that disorientation that agony of those early days um it does it does get better it does improve. Time heals wounds. What? <laughs> I remember. Well, I remember when Jack died and Boofy died. And like you're saying, that intense agony. It's honestly, I would take broken femurs, I think. Like I would take a physical manifestation. Because, I mean, you're having fan physical manifestations of that intensity. Like, nauseous like I physically got so sick didn't have COVID was tested for everything everything was negative I just got so physically ill I couldn't leave the couch for like 10 days and I know that that was my body being just like expelling that pain and then I just like I was able to push it down but then when I can it like boils up and it just kills like it's the most intense pain like I would take like I said a broken leg and it's been a year and I would say Although I wish I would have met you a year ago and we could be in a completely different conversation now because I'm still kind of in the bowels of the guilt and the grief, which we'll get into. So had I met you a year ago, I we would be in a completely different conversation than we are now. But I have to say that after a year, that intensity has declined. Like, And I'm not saying time heals all wounds, but time does help. It does assist in a way where it, just like time passes for, uh, for me, at least, it passes in a linear sense. I, I know that's not actually true, but it passes for me in a linear sense where I am able to have space from something and I can, those intensity go away. Just like if you get a bee sting, 10 minutes, it's going to feel better. In an hour, it's going to feel better. In three hours, it's going to feel better. So, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that time itself heals things. I definitely think there's other aspects to it, but, you know, as my boyfriend says, three years ago when his dog died, he feels the less intensity than I do now. So it's, it is something you just have to kind of sit with to know that things will get better as your brain processes information, as it processes your grief and your guilt, but also having a resource like you, you know, is super helpful. And I wish, like I said, we would have met before. Yeah. You know, I tell people you're in the ICU right now, you know, in these early parts of grief, you are, you are in the ICU. And you're going to get out of the ICU and you're going to make a full, you know, recovery as much as one can recover from this. But in those early stages, you are, you're sick, you know, you're, you're sick, you're hurting. And I'm just there by the bedside kind of holding your hand, you know, and it's a, it is a profoundly humbling experience to feel this type of grief and loss. And it makes you feel very small often and very afraid <laughs> and very unsure. And, um, the thing is, there's opportunity in that. 
there's opportunity in this type of grief because you are forced, all of us are forced to take a look at everything, take a look at ourselves, take a look at what that relationship was for us, and to really ask ourselves, what do I want to do going forward now that I have been through this? I don't believe we can go through grief and not come out transformed. And sometimes it takes a while to see what that transformation is. Sometimes it happens very quickly. Sometimes I see it happening with my clients right before my eyes. And man, when I look at my life, <laughs> I think, whoa, 180, you know? But um, there is opportunity in grief. And um, it just sometimes takes a while for us to see what that opportunity will be. I will say about time healing all wounds, though, is that some people who didn't really get the opportunity to grieve um, for some reasons. Um, I've worked with some people where their loss was 10, 15, or 20 years ago, and they never got to speak about it or never got to talk about it. And it is as raw for them as it was when they open up, when they finally get to open up about it. And so I think like, you know, if anyone out there, if it has been a while, but you feel like you never got to kind of work through it, it's never too late to work through your grief either. Like even if you're functional, even if you're getting through the day, if you're somebody who never got to voice it and never got to really talk about it, there's a tremendous benefit to doing that even if it's been a long time. And some people are very self-conscious about that. They call and they're like, um, you know, it's, it's been like 10 years. Would you still work with me? And I was like, in a heartbeat, <laughs> you know, definitely. Because even though time allows us to be more functional and the sting is lessened, um, you still may not have kind of worked through some of those feelings or given voice to some of those feelings. That is interesting. I'm, yeah, I, I definitely think, you know, if you've locked all those things up in a little box and you put them on the shelf, then obviously time isn't going to heal it. It's just going to delay it. But I think like I said, like once you're processing it, you know, eventually those things can, do, those intensities can decrease. So now I want to move on. So now that we know that in three to six months, your grief will be gone, you'll be back to normal, and you'll be fixed. Like you said, you promised. Everything is fine, <laughs> and I'll be healed, and I won't even miss Jack anymore. <laughs> Who's Jack? Just kidding. Let's talk about how there's, like, differences between human grieving and pet grieving. So like you were saying, when pets die, we're expected to be back at work on Monday. We're expected to not talk about it because there are pets and, you know, humans are different. Um, but let's talk about how things are different where even though the grief and the pain is the same, but society doesn't accept that. Yeah. I'll ask you, do you have a thought on the way that your relationship with Jack or Mufi was different than your relationship with humans in your life? I have a partner that I love for the rest of my life. However, Jack and Move were my soulmates. And I don't use that term in any other sense because they were, we weren't just a relationship that we chose to have. They relied on me for care, for love. And I wanted to give that to them. They were the people I talked about. I cried ugly thoughts about when I was sick and throwing up and when I was sad, when I was angry, when I was transforming the whole time they were there looking at me like love you no matter how mean no matter how much I might have I feel I neglected them when I was working 12-hour shifts or choosing to go out instead of sit home with them or cut Jack's walk short by one block because I was tired or it was cold or it was snowing you know they always loved and accepted me now sometimes Jack would roll his eyes but I knew he accepted me trust me this dog he was full of personality but they were they they saw sides of me that no one will ever see. They knew things about me that no one will ever know. 
They witness parts of my life that no one will ever see. And for me, like I love the people in my life. I love them. I am so thankful for them, but they will never hold a candle to my relationship with Jack and Mufi. And I know that sounds kind of crazy, but they were they were my everything and I was their everything. And no, I can't say that about another human. Not really. It doesn't sound crazy to me. It sounds spot on. And this is why I do the work I do. Um, that was beautiful. That's how I feel about my relationship with Arnie and, and my other animals to an extent. Look, it's the most intimate relationship we ever have. For some, for some of us, maybe not for everybody, but for some of us and for the kind of people that would want to come work with me and listen to this, it's the most intimate, most loving, most understanding relationship. Your animal's never going to lie to you. They're never going to hurt you. They're never going to hit you. They're never going to disapprove when you made a mistake at work or you didn't live up to someone's expectation. They're never going to judge you harshly. They're not going to care if you mess something up. They're not going to care when you have some of those ugly moments that you're talking about that no one's ever seen, <laughs> which we all have. And they are so in intertwined in our daily life, our daily routine. You know, I touched Arnie and talked to Arnie more than I talked to my partner, you know, <laughs> more than I touched my partner in a day. That's just how, how it goes. And it's, um, it's just the most profoundly rich and intimate and daily life. You know, a lot of us, if we don't live near our parents, we don't talk to our parents every day or see our parents every day. Who else do you see so much? Who else do you know so well? And who else knows you? And there's something, you know, when they die, you have lost a witness. You have lost a witness to your life. And that is very hard. That is very, very hard to see. So um, my argument is always that it is a much more intimate loss than human loss. And that's why many people find that it's harder. And then many people come to me and they say, I'm so guilty because I am more upset about my dog dying than when my dad died. Or I'm more, you know, and I say, join the club. That's most of us, you know, those of us will admit it anyway. Is there a, is there a way or is there a road to accepting pet loss as it deeply society, like in, in the world, the way that we live, like if I call my hospital like, that I'm working at and say, my dog died, I need to take, you know, what, what, I don't know what a normal bereavement period is for humans. I've, like I said, I've never lost anyone super close to me aside from some grandparents, but we get like what you get like a week off maybe for the funeral planning and all of that. And then you're back on Monday. But for dogs, like you could call off the day of sure, you know, they're going to accept that you're at the vet or, or you're making, you know, you're planning for whatever burial or or cremation of your pet but then we're just supposed to come back and like for me the whole thing is even in, with humans is we come back and we're not expected to cry to me there will be an episode on the science of crying I've already established this I just need to figure out a cry specialist to have on the show or do the research myself but I think the one thing is like we're not expected to show any of that ever to anyone except like our close family and friends like I think we should normalize crying on the subway we should normalize crying at the stoplight whatever whatever for whatever you're processing you know I'm not saying like cry every day and like don't exist without tears but like we need to normalize like that we all go through it so why are we hiding it like why why are we not expected to say like oh I'm sorry you're sad and people are just supposed to say thank you instead of be like okay I'm sad and then hug somebody like I just think that the whole societal standard of how taboo it is to talk about grief 
is just disturbing when we all every person has experienced it. You're totally right. And what what's the road to changing that? I mean, I will say um, a, a really cool side effect of, of my work um, is that many of my clients have actually ended up, you know, once they're through kind of the acute worst part, um, you know, we're always talking about, you know, what can we do to honor our animal and continue their legacy and um, give back, you know, in communities. And many of my clients have started projects at their own workplace to help support you know other other people in their workplace who have lost pets and they've even brought up to hr about you know we get family leave when you need to take care of a sick family member what if you have a dog who's going to need treatments can we provide something for that you know so so a lot of people are just taking it into their own hands i mean this is what we're going to have to do and so if you are working someplace where you can start talking to hr or you know normalizing things or you know maybe in your office you put up a bulletin board and, and people can bring in a picture of their animal who's died with their name and it can just be a little memorial wall you know, little things like that are very powerful. One of the things I started doing on Instagram because it didn't exist for people is I started doing a live memorial service every month. And I um, ask people for uh, the names of their animals and I do a complete memorial service. It's a little different every month. And I read the guardians' names and I read the animals' names. And people love that because they feel like their animal is being honored in a, in a traditional way, like we might do a memorial service for a person. So I think the way that we start normalizing this is we speak about it, we talk about it, we share our grief when when you're comfortable sharing and, you know, when it's safe to share. And we um, continue to do projects in our community and um, really speak up about this and try to help others understand the impact of this loss. And, and I think if everybody who has been through this uh, became a little advocate for it, we'd get a lot done. You know, we'd get a lot done in a short amount of time. Well, I love that we're creating a place where we can hopefully have people listen and realize that they want to partake in that as well and can just create little little bubbles of, of communities where we can start normalizing this. Because, I mean, maybe a hundred years ago, people didn't look at their dogs like family members. But like now, I don't know a single person who doesn't look at their pets as a family member at all. I, I just, I see so many people connecting with their pets as a soul rather than a species. And I think that we need to honor that by giving them and giving the griever space to experience that. Just like and I think a lot of that, the why we don't, aren't allowed to grieve because of time, because of, you know, go, go, go mentality in our society is why people repress and they hold things in and they let it boil over and they shut it down. And then they come to you 10 years later and say, oh, crap, I didn't do this right. Help me out. Well, and, and we've had no modeling for it. And that's the other thing. You know, I, I hate saying to grievers, you know, part of your responsibility is to show up and model for others what it looks like to grieve this because we're overwhelmed. We got plenty to do. But as best we can, even when we are grieving, can you show other people? Can you speak about your grief? Can you ask people for support? Can you, if someone asks you, how are you doing? Can you say, I'm really hurting. I really miss my dog. And a lot of people can't say that. They say, I'm fine. No. So part, part of it, you know, and, and, and look, it's not always appropriate to share. I get that. But the more we as grievers can speak up and, and speak out and normalize our experience, you know, the comment I get more than anything else, both in sessions and on my Instagram is, I thought I was the only one. And you're not. You know, the other day I, I posted something about the clothes I was wearing when Arnie died and I have them saved in a Ziploc bag and he peed on them and they're sealed in this bag and I still have them and I don't know if, what I'll do. I'm not going to open them. I'm not going to wash them. They're just in a bag. And I 
put that on Instagram. I had a hundred comments from people about, oh, I thought I was, I didn't know other people saved the clothes or I didn't know other people, you know, and, and it's because we don't talk about any of this. We don't say any of it. And I'm not telling everybody, go show your pee clothes to everyone, but I'm saying, you know, the more we speak about it, the more we talk about it, the more we validate that it's an okay thing to feel this level of pain. I am not abnormal because I'm grieving my soulmate. I think the more we can do that and put it out there in the world, the better off everybody will be both those who have animals and those who are going to be around people and supporting people who have animals i wish i would have kept my clothes i don't even remember i mean i have pic i took pictures of Mufi, so he looked really bad he had a big open pustulous wound on his nose when he died but i took pictures of him like while i'm holding and we'll talk about his his um my experience with him when he died um but i have those pictures and i posted them on and like on facebook like not in on public sense, but like to my friends and family. And my mom's like, that's really disturbing. I'm like, no, <laughs> don't look at it then. Like, I mean, yes, it probably, he had, it wasn't really gross, but to me it wasn't. But, you know, I tried to like hide the kind of ugly parts, but like I wanted to, you know, show the reality that like, yeah, my eyes are swollen, my nose is runny. Like we're laying in my pajamas together, like in the, in the vet and like, you know, people were just like, you know, process it however you want. And then, of course, you know, I was able to post better pictures of him when I was in a better space. But, you know, for me, just like talking about like, this is what it looks like to lose a pet. It's not this glamorous thing that we don't talk about. And, you know, my family was able like we were able to kind of talk about it. And it kind of opened up a window for us to like share that. Yeah, it's not the prettiest aspect of, of life, but it's really important. And and I love that you did that on social media. You know, I don't, if you're not ready, if you don't want to do it, if you don't want any questions or comments or feedback, don't post anything on social media until you're ready, of course. But if you're moved to do that, I do think that's a really powerful way. Every single day after Arnie died for six months, I would post a photo of him uh, from, usually from that particular date. Um, and so I would say, you know, September 29th, 2014 was a good day with Arnie. I called it my good day with Arnie project. And I would talk about you know, a memory from that day or just in general memories about him. And, um, you know, what do you do when you got 12 years of pictures and videos? You got to you got to show him. And I post it every single day. And I know there's some people who are like, oh, my God, it's another cat picture. <laughs> you know, I'm sure there's people who are irritated. But I got so many people reaching out to me. And this was before I was a pet loss grief counselor. So many people who reached out to me and said, you know, you sharing your story about Arnie and continuing to share it and continuing to memorialize him and grieve him makes me feel a lot more seen in my own grief about my dog or my cat. And I feel really connected to my own grief because you're sharing your grief. And I always found that really, really powerful that just me sharing that I was hurting and missing him and, and these are the things I missed was connecting with other grievers and made them feel you know, seen and heard and validated. So I, I'm a big believer in sharing on social media because you never know who you're reaching, right? You, you may not even know about the friend whose dog passed away and maybe they didn't make posts about it and it was a difficult circumstance, but just you being open with your grief may give them some comfort and peace in theirs. Yeah. When I finally posted like to my like larger audience about Mufi passing away, I got hundreds hundreds of messages of people sending me pictures of their cats and their puppies and they said we lost eddie 10 years ago still think about him every day and i'm like i'm here with you you know oh like my we put my cat down last week i'm like i am grieving with i am with you like we are together in the shit. we are together through this and it like gave me this 
even just this fleeting moments where it's like, oh, I know that like I feel like I'm alone and no one will ever understand. And personally, they might not. But they're also feeling something alone and that no one will ever personally understand. And that gives us a connection. And I think the one really great thing about social media and having a phone with a camera on it is that we have access to so many memories. And we're so lucky to have that and to connect with other people and share those and just realize like, we're all going through this crazy, wonky, funky thing called life together with the ups and downs. And if we can connect, then like social media is doing everything it's meant to do. Totally. I'm totally with you. And I think it's a, a great thing for pet grievers. You know, I connect with pet grievers from all over the world. I have people coming to me from all over the world because of social media. And it's a, it's a universal, um, you know, community that I wish we all didn't have to be in. But isn't it wonderful that we can be here together when I see what goes on in the comments of my, you know, my posts and, and the people supporting each other and the people connecting with each other. It's it's really beautiful. And I think, you know, as as there are some downsides of social media, but one big upside, I think, for pet loss is that you do get the sense you're not alone. We're all going through this and, and we are all here to help each other. For our final question of this part, because we are going to dive into a whole nother aspect of guilt, grief, loss, Jack and Moof for our second part of this interview. But for the last question on this part, part one, I just real quickly want to ask your opinion. And this is just your opinion. It doesn't, you know, no one take anything personally. But what are your thoughts on the term rainbow bridge? And what if we don't believe our pets are waiting for us in the afterlife? And how, as someone I've experienced wavering beliefs about the rainbow bridge um this show has helped me reinforce and reform my beliefs about what happens after we die but the rainbow bridge isn't for everybody and but like when my dog died i was sent a card about him at the rainbow bridge and it really pissed me off because at that moment um I don't believe in no rainbow at, the, at that time. I don't know what my beliefs are now, but at that time I was so mad that they put that on me that I had to believe something that I didn't. So what do you think about it? I think when we are grieving, we must cling to whatever feels supportive to our grief. So if it feels supportive to you to imagine your animal at the rainbow bridge, at the base of the rainbow with all the other animals that have been in your life, go for it. Go for it. If any, whatever you believe about the afterlife, whatever's bringing you comfort, do it. I mean, that, that is what I believe. Um, and the Rainbow Bridge, ha um, it, it originated, for those of you who may not know, um, there was a poem that was written uh, about animals who die. They go to the Rainbow Bridge, and it's, it's a happy place. It's an afterlife scenario. And many Many grievers find comfort in this. Um, in fact, I did a poll not too long ago on my Instagram, and um, I have a lot of very engaged people, and it was about like 40%, I think, of people really resonated with the term Rainbow Bridge just in my community. So, you know, there's people out there who really love it. Um, but there's a lot of people who find it unsupportive or not comforting. It's just become a default. So no wonder you got a card. Like many people think this is the thing you do now for pet loss. It is, um, it, it comes up all the time. People are gonna mention it, right? And again, it goes back to that thing. Look, people, most people aren't trying to hurt you. They're, they don't know what to do. So they talk about the rainbow bridge, right? But um, a lot of people are not aligned with this idea. 
And sometimes they even feel guilty for not being aligned with it. I feel bad because I don't believe in the rainbow bridge. Oh my goodness. Now we have to do that guilt, right? So I would say if it doesn't resonate for you, I validate that. And I encourage you to speak up to people. Um, you know, if, if they keep talking about the rainbow bridge, you can say, you know, I prefer we just not use that term. That's just not comfortable for me, you know, or could you say heaven or could you not talk about afterlife? You know, whatever it is for you. Um, I always say to people, like, if, if Rainbow Bridge makes you feel really icky, um, do a little brainstorm with yourself about what does feel supportive, you know, what does feel right for you. Um, and if you love it, there's no shame in that game either. You know, whatever works for you, whatever um, it brings you comfort, you know, the thing I have spoken out on social media about Rainbow Bridge, I have just validated for people because there's like a Rainbow Bridge Remembrance Day and a lot of um, people uh, feel very weird about seeing that. So I... I make posts on that day about, hey, if you're not down with Rainbow Bridge, that's okay with me. <laughs> you know? And I think um, what we just have to remember is that we all grieve differently and we all find comfort in different things. And I know for a fact that there are people that are shocked that Rainbow Bridge doesn't resonate for some people, right? There are people that are shocked that, that you know, it feels unsupportive, but that's part of the education too. So, um, you know, for me personally, you did ask what I think personally, and I'm not afraid to say what I think personally. For me personally, the idea of Arnie at a rainbow bridge doesn't ring my bell. You know, that that does not resonate for me. Um, but I love that it resonates for some people because whatever, whatever feels supportive, do it, you know. So um, the tip I would give about this, though, practically speaking, I'm just kind of going back to how do we support people's feelings on this um listen to what people say listen when you're talking to a griever you know do they mention heaven do they not mention heaven do they mention the rainbow bridge do they not mention and mirror their language back to them so if i'm working with a client and they start saying you know i know he's at the rainbow bridge and so i might later reference the rainbow bridge because i know that is what is working for them so i just encourage people if you're talking to a griever rather than bring things up listen and then mirror back whatever language, you know, they're using. And if someone is not talking about an afterlife, you don't, it's not your job to bring it up. So I think, um, you know, understanding that different things are going to feel supportive to different people is, um, is part of learning the tolerance around grief and how we help other people through it. I love that. Listen and then help people with their own beliefs by, you know, repeating those things back to them. I think listening is really a hard concept for me and a lot of people. So Beth, thank you so much for coming in and or coming on the show and chatting with me. We are not done yet, everybody. So you can go ahead and listen to the second part where we dive deep into the story of moi and how horrifying, horrible, guilt-stricken, grief-stricken I still am. It's going to be great. I'm probably going to cry. But so thank you, Beth, so much for coming on. And we will chat again here soon.